generative AI takes the center stage. But is your enterprise still watching from the sidelines? Come on in, let's fix that. This is Not Another Bot, the Generative AI Show, where we unpack and help you understand the rapidly evolving space of conversational experiences and the technology behind it all. Here is your host, TJ. Hello and welcome to Not Another Bot, the Generative AI Show. I'm your host, TJ. With us today is James Timberlake. He's a multifaceted professional with an impressive career spanning business brokerage, transmedia production, and most notably, AI as an independent publishing. James is the co-founder of Noob Studio and MetaSkyZing, as well as the founder of the Story Sherpas, an AI ghostwriting service that has reshaped the independent publishing landscape. With a rich academic background in philosophy and artificial intelligence from revered institutions like MIT and Yale, James brings a unique perspective to the intersection of AI, creativity, and publishing. A prolific author, AI enthusiast, and forward-thinking innovator, James isn't just riding the wave of AI evolution in publishing, he's actually shaping its course. Welcome, James, to the show. Thank you so much. So let's get started. And the way we do this is, James, we would love to know more about you. So the first question is always about you, right? So could you actually walk us through your journey all the way from academic studies in philosophy and AI at prestigious institutions to becoming a thought leader in the field of AI in independent publishing, especially as a founder of the Story Sherpas and an author? It's like most things in life, I imagine. It kind of happened by accident, right? Yeah, I, so I started, graduated seminary and thought you know that was going to be my life, but had some interesting interactions with some of my fellow classmates, and it kind of left me a little disillusioned in some of the practical sides of ministry. And that's what led to me getting a second degree in business and philosophy. And so started off in retail, got robbed at gunpoint. So I was like, I won't do that anymore. So that's when I went into like inside sales, which led to marketing and project management. And yeah, it's, it was crazy. <laughs> so it's like, it kind of just progressed from there and eventually got to the point where, you know, I got to work on some really fun projects that helped me uh, kind of expand my horizons on what I was exposed to and eventually led to, as you mentioned, starting Story Sherpas, which originally was just a ghostwriting shop. You know, we did everything manually and we just helped people, professionals, celebrities, high net worth individuals tell their stories either to become a thought leader or they want to leave a legacy or something of that nature. And what we started doing is just slowly integrating more and more automated systems. So first we automated the transcriptions, right? And then the transcriptions, we were like, well, now that we have those, what can we automate some of the editing? And so and breaking it up into sections and well, can we start automating some of the interviews, right? And start doing the video interview. And so we just kind of started slowly adding, you know, different aspects of what our workflow was. We just kept adding different systems or expanding the systems we had until we could automate more and more of it. And I eventually sold that company and it went on and it has a new life now, which is great. And that freed me up to do a lot of my own kind of personal experimentation with writing and things like that. More recently, I've been I've had a lot of exciting conversations. So MetaSkies, as you mentioned, that's one of my current companies, a co-founder of, and we're working with what we call personalized generative entertainment, right? And so one of the companies that you might be familiar with right now that's just doing really groundbreaking work with this is Fable Simulation. And if you're not familiar with the name or if your audience isn't, 
they might be familiar with their case study that they're about to pull down actually. But right now you can still see it where they have a platform where you can create your own South Park episode, right? And you go on there, you tell them exactly who you want in it. You want the scenario to be, you know, I want this guest star or I want this kind of thing. And it actually builds a thing. And so I've been talking about that concept for the last two and a half years pretty often. And most people didn't, oh, it's never going to happen. Then all of a sudden, you know, chat GPT came out and mid journey came out and Dolly and all these. And all of a sudden everybody's like, oh, maybe, but it'll be like five or 10 years. I'm like, no, you don't understand. And now people are starting to see it and they're like, <laughs> oh, <Exactly>. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's what you were talking about. I know. Totally. Awesome. No, this is brilliant. Yeah. yeah but ahead. it's exciting to see because I think right now, especially with like the writer strike that's in Hollywood, right? And now the actor strike as well. And, but these are not new conversations, right? Especially the writers have been underpaid for years, right? They've been fighting this for years. But now the actors are starting to see that, oh, well, I'm in trouble too, because now you can take my license, like my image, and you can license it. And so now, it, take Marvel as an easy example, right? I no longer have to pay Chris Hemsworth increasing amounts of money every year, every time I want a Thor movie, and also have to worry about the fact that he's supposed to be a god that doesn't age, but he ages every year, right? So now we're spending money to de-age them back. It's like, well, at some point, you could just do a life model and just create them, and then you have the character rather than the actor. And that's what the studios are really fighting for. They want to own the characters and the digital likeness of those characters. And believe it or not, AI has now become the sticking point in these contract negotiations. It's like they're not even fighting about writing wages, any of this. The main sticking point is AI of all things, because they see it as an existential threat, which it is. Indeed. You're just taking somebody's, I wouldn't say the job, but precisely saying, hey, you know what? I'm in I need the character because for which you certainly were known for, but I need to ensure that I could use it for years together and I could do that with AI. So totally. I mean, for them, it's like, okay, what am I going to do now? If AI can do it, the whole damn thing. So make totally makes sense. Interesting. So on that similar thought, then what excites you about the potential of AI and automation in independent publishing, particularly in the context of course writing with AI? For me, the thing that's most exciting is that it's going to it really does free up the independent storyteller. And that's what's exciting to me is people being able to, in the short term, tell their stories to other people, right? Like one thing that I just saw was somebody, and this is what we're one of the things we're working on at MetaSkies as well, is being able to go in as a complete novice, you know, just a fan and say, man, I'd love to see a movie about this, this, and this. Maybe it's based on my life or an experience, or maybe it's just an idea that I've had forever, but I don't know how to write a script. I'm a complete novice, but I know that there's a inkling of an idea of a story that I've never seen on whether I want to represent the culture I'm coming from or my unique background, or maybe it's just something completely fanciful that I've never seen that I'd like to see, right? And so now I can go and I can use these AI tools to take the images and the stories that are in my head and I can put them together into a 30 second little, you know, either a, what I tell people is you can either do a 10 page comic because that's pretty easy to do. You could do, if you're a little bit more technical, you don't mind doing some more of the dive in and doing something like taking mid journey and putting it into runway, something like that. Well, now you can take your comic and you can convert it into kind of like a motion comic, if you will. And if you do a little bit more iteration, well, now you have a trailer, right? And you could take that trailer and 
you can build support, go get a Patreon or whatever, and then you can build it to be as big as you want. And so now it's no longer, oh, I have this great idea, but no one in Hollywood would ever listen to me. You don't need them to. Just go make the thing and then make the next version and the next version. And eventually you can build your own audience and you can be your own mini studio. And that's really where what's exciting is we're going to see one person, two and three person studios taking over with these new massive IPs. Well, that's definitely visionary. But how does AI in this context of publishing, host writing and beyond, with its ability to analyze and process vast amounts of data, contribute to a more streamlined and effective content curation and also the vetting process, you know, whether this is, you know, kind of, I don't know if the copywriting is a concern anymore or yeah, should be predominantly, but how are you vetting that or how are you creating that effective content? And you know that this is the sort of content I need. And looking at that amount of data which you have to deal with, how's that kind of done today? And what's your take on that, James? So basically, I think right now, a lot of people see, especially in publishing and marketing in general, any written content, people think that it's like AI is going to write it for me. And it can, but it's not going to be good, right? Like, and even the parts that are good are going to be generic, right? And so you can just start with, say, a prompt of write me about this. But we found is far more effective, um, at least in our purposes, is having the person write from the heart because that's the part the AI doesn't have, right? So you don't have to worry about grammar. You don't have to worry about sentence structure. It doesn't even have to bloody make sense to you. Right? You know what I'm saying? And so I think for a lot of people, that's a huge opportunity to go, well, just write or even better. You don't have to write, just speak and let it do real-time transcription. Just get it out of your head and then feed it to something like chat GPT, or there's other programs too. However you want to do it, depending on your goals you can now just kind of get it out in its rough form and it'll reformat and it'll pull out that context and it'll pull out and it'll reword it in a way that is more or less aligned with whatever format you train it on, right? And again, you can do the easy way or the hard way. You could just plop it into chat GPT and say, hey, you know, help me edit this and you can give us some parameters, bring this down to an eighth grade reading level, fix any grammar, shorten it by 20%, get rid of any redundancies. And any areas that you see that I need to add more context or because you could talk to, you know, like if areas are more context, prompt me to do so. Right. And so then it'll re-spit you out a different form. So take that draft, edit it, change it, repeat that process till you're happy. That's the basic, simple way anybody could do even with the free chat GPT. Right. And then if you have the ability to do a custom trained model or even just using custom parameters within chat GPT, I guess you could do it too. But the real powers if you can do custom train models, because at that point, then what you can do is, especially if you're working with an author that has some kind of established body of work, or even like a thought leader who maybe has done a lot of tweets, or they've done a lot of blog posts or LinkedIn posts, something like that. Well, then you can take all that content and feed it as a custom training data set, and then you'll create a, an author profile, right? So then as you're starting to feed it, it's not pulling from the entire large language model and trying to cram it. It's saying, no, 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 you write like this. This is your style. This is your cadence. This is your voice. So I'm going to do my best to copy that. And so the more you can train your custom models, then the closer it'll be to your voice, right? And that's what I, to get back to what's exciting, I think you're going to see more and more people building out these custom avatars, if you will. And then using them as co-writers, 
right? So again, whether I'm feeding you an idea and then I have it build it out into a full blog post, or maybe I just do a journal and then I say, hey, here's my daily journal, convert this automatically into one LinkedIn post, one Twitter thread, and then also go ahead and insert a chapter into Chapterly for me, right? So that that can be expanded into a full chapter, but at least I have my draft. So you can get like, you know, 10 pieces of content, some complete, some drafts, out of one conversation or one free writing session. And so as an independent author or even just content creator, you know, this unlocks a lot of potential to just every day create 10, 20 pieces of content from an hour, as opposed to what you had to do before, where it's, you know, usually is more iterative. You know, you would release the book first, and then you would take a chapter from the book and you'd put that into a newsletter. And then you would take some sections out of that newsletter and you'd use it for social and, you know, you break it down that way. Well, now you don't have to do that. You can do it all at once from a single source. And so the volume of output is going to be, I think, a lot higher as more and more storytellers, authors, thought leaders in general start embracing that as a kind of a co-author. It does answer the question. I think it really brings a lot of different perspectives beyond what I was asking. So thank you so much for going deeper. I think keeping the accuracy and hallucinations in mind too, given that's equally critical. And given, you know, ghostwriting has garnered so much of attention recently. Does it really create that sort of quality content with, you know, less hallucinations? And to what extent can we trust the AI to produce more compelling narratives? And second part of that question is, I think you touched upon it, like, you know, bringing that unique style of the author, whether it's a writing style or, you know, the tonal quality and beyond. Is generative AI able to accurately replicate? And those will be my, like, follow-up questions from what we are discussing at the moment. So the short answer is, it's like most things, it's a matter of, it's like a scale, right? It's a spectrum. So again, if you're talking something like your basic chat GPT or even GPT-4, yes, it can, but it won't be as good as say a custom trained data set trained specifically. For example, let's take Stephen King, right? Who's got a large known set of work. Well, if I were to ask chat GPT to take a story that I wrote and gave it and say, rewrite this in the form of Stephen King, it would probably do an okay job because there's enough material in its training to make that work. But if I were to come in and say, example, if I were to take like a chapter from Carrie and drop it in and say, make it sound like me, it's probably not going to do as well, right? If it doesn't know who I am as a new writer, right? As an example. So that's what I'm saying. It kind of depends. So the more you can train it, then the better it'll get is the short answer. So, and it's getting easier and easier to do that. Although, now going to the hallucination part, there is a caveat. Again, this is why what we say is we don't look for ChatGPT to create information. We look at it to polish information. So I look to the author, the thought leader, that person. I want the information to come from their brain. I just want the computer to clean it up, right? So for me, in, in ghostwriting, limiting it to that context, that's the proper order of things because then it's serving a very specific goal and you're far less likely to have hallucinations because you're not asking it to fill in blanks, right? But if you're trying to flip it around and say, well, I want it to do all the writing for me. I just wanted to give it a topic. Well, the more freedom you give it, then the more likely you're going to have it create something that's not accurate or that's maybe partially accurate or maybe is biased, right? A lot of people are talking about that. But is it theoretically possible? Absolutely. It's just how much work are you willing to put in to get it there? But as of right now, you know, you can't just say, 
write me a Stephen King book and expect it to spit it out with no work. We're not there yet. And maybe we will be, but we're not quite there yet. But, you know, with a little bit of effort, you can definitely get an entire chapter out of a conversation like this or several chapters out of a conversation like this that are edited and formatted properly and can be used as a basis for a book or content that really, really, truly does reflect the voice, tone and opinions of the author because it started with that. That's beautifully explained. And I think one of the things which touched upon, I think there would be these, you know, limitations, challenges with AI will somehow face, whether it's the accuracy at that level, but the custom data aspect of, you know, how on which you train the model. And that's why probably we also need multi LLMs to even do different things, maybe summarization separately, or, you know, running a complete Q&A beyond that. Any specific limitations or challenges that comes to your mind today, James, that the industry is facing, let's say, with ghostwriting or publishing? And if there are, at this moment, how are you overcoming those? Or how, what's your thought around those? If you're seeing that pretty often, maybe on a day-to-day basis with your work, we'd love to know that for sure. Other than some of the stuff we just talked about as far as like limited in what it can produce based on a given input, I think that probably the other issue that we're looking at, or at least in my circle, we're kind of thinking about long-term is... They're interrelated, but there's a couple things. One is kind of overuse, right? Like it's hard enough to stand out as it is, but when everybody's using it to game the system, you kind of flood the, as it were, you flood the market with all this content, most of which is created now, or more of which is being created by a computer, which becomes its own problem because then that training data gets pulled in for the next iteration. So it starts training itself. And that's one of the, I guess, concerns or fears is finding that balance of like, yes, it's a great tool and it's a co-writer and it can be an editor and it can be a publisher and it can help you. But just like I was saying before, it still has to come from a plate, like, you know, the way I would describe it, it has to come from that human element, that heart element that the computer doesn't have. It can outthink you all day long, can't outfeel you, at least, you know, (laughs) not yet, maybe one day, but right now that's your advantage is you had a lived experience that brought an emotion to you, right? And if that's what you're sharing, then the AI can enhance it. But it's not a replacement for a lived experience. You know what I'm saying? You can't just be like, create me a week's worth of content for my business. It'll do that, but it's going to not be great. It's going to just be a week's worth of basic content like every other person out there that's saying, give me 10 weeks worth of basic content. And so I think that's one of the issues right now that I think is a lot of people are starting to see on the surface. And the thing that's becoming more and more popular right now is virtual clones, if you will, right? Where people are training their own like mini thems. Like, so you can actually create a little mini version of you and put it on your website or on your Slack or whatever. And then when customers come in or friends or family for that matter, and instead of talking to you, they talk to the digital you. And so they can converse and it'll answer as if it were you pulling from your knowledge base that you're updating, right? And this is great for, you know, executives or thought leaders or authors that want to engage or actors or whatever that want to engage with their fans in a personal way, but at scale. That's a little bit of a concern for me because we've already seen people that can't distinguish the fact that this is a bot versus a human. And so they start forming real human emotional connections with a bot. Right. And then they start projecting that onto the human rather than the avatar, if that makes sense. So, for example, 
let's say Tom Hanks makes a digital Tom Hanks, right? You know, America's dad or whatever. And it's great. Everybody goes and they talk to him about advice. They talk about his movie career. They want him to do the Forrest Gump quotes all day long ad nauseum. And it's happy to do that. But there's one or two people that, you know, they've grown up with Tom Hanks and they really, they just, they really see him. And, you know, if I could just meet Tom Hanks, be best friends. Like I know me and I've seen him. I know him. We're going to just hit it off. And then you go on and you start talking to the digital AI. I mean, the digital Tom Hanks, who is programmed to make you feel like Tom Hanks cares about you, right? So then you start doing this. And so it starts feeding your own, you know, like, oh, I knew we would hit it off. See? And then, okay. So now you build this six month relationship with fake Tom Hanks, and then you go to a you know a movie premiere or whatever, and there he is at the red carpet. Yo, Tom! Yo, man, it's me. You remember me? You don't know who you are. He never talked to you, but you have that emotion. So, and then it's like, well, now you've done hurt you. So anyway, like those are the things that I think about. Like my worry is that we're already an isolated, more and more becoming an isolated society where everybody lives in these little bubbles. I mean, even you and I, like we're talking through, through screens right now, you know, but give it two years. We might not be having this conversation. Digital me and digital you, they're having the conversation, right? So like those are the things long-term, I think for any industry can be problematic as people put more and more, they offload more and more of the decision-making rather than the execution to the AI. And I think that's a mistake because whether it's talking about publishing or you're talking about finance or you're talking about any other business, you know, uh, cause I also do some defense things, things like that. Like the problem in my mind, this is, you know, opinion light, but the problem in my mind is when AI is a really, really good, it's like money, right? It's a really, really good servant. It's not a great master, right? Like tell it what to do and it can do it. If it didn't do it right, iterate and it'll do it over and over. It'll never be offended that you're trying to tweak it, you know, like those like clients that you always hear the horror stories, like it's never good enough. They want a thousand revisions, right? Like that's what AI is perfect for. It'll do a thousand and one revisions with a smile. But what's not great is when you start giving it the ability to make those autonomous decisions that affect other human beings. That's what scares me because it's such a natural impulse to just delegate that responsibility off because well the ai is smarter oh it has access to more information and those things are true i'm not like saying this bad but i'm saying that you know it's just human tendency to let the computer do it and never question it again and that opens up a lot of uh, potential for abuse or just you know even inadvertently just you know kind of oppressive scenarios or at the very least takes away a lot of autonomy and the human element of those discussions that I think are important, particularly for things like medical or law enforcement, where, you know, you're going to be dealing with somebody at the worst moment of their life, potentially, right? Yeah, it, it needs that. No, totally. It just needs a, certainly the validation and human in the loop is that's why it's so critical. Keeping that discussion in mind, but it just going back into the literary elements. Now, writing often involves the use of complex literary elements, such as theme, symbolism, and subtext. How does generative AI or AI handle these nuanced aspects of literature and today precisely? And can AI comprehend and generate intricate literary devices to the same degree as a human writer? I think you touched upon it like to an extent based on the prompting, but is it kind of getting there at all, James? And, and it, you could very much you know, keep it more vision-oriented to your answer. Like, Where do you see and how do you see the comprehension and generating of you know, intricate literary devices the degree of you know, human intelligence is going to happen today or if it's already happening or there's a future for it. So like I'll say some things that it's good at 
is guiding or can be good at is guiding you through, say, a literary framework. If you were to say something like, if you asked it for a metaphor, or if you asked it for, you know, something specific like that, you know, like, I want a metaphor about a duck and a, you know, a piece of wood, and it talks about why you should make your bed every morning. It'll create something within those parameters. Yeah, it's pretty, and it, you know, it'll sound like a human wrote it. And again, the more parameters you give it, then the closer it'll probably get to what you're wanting, right? So if you can give it examples, that's always helpful. Like even if it's just within the prompt, like if you can say, here's an example, but for your version, I want it to be about this. I want it to be longer, shorter, better, whatever, right? And it's fairly good at that, yeah. And then again, it also depends on what we're talking about. So like I mentioned Chapterly, I think earlier. So Chapterly is a fun one. So Chapterly, if you're talking about, like if you're an author, uh, if you're looking to write a book, nonfiction or fiction, Chapterly is a pretty good option because the AI that's built into Chapterly is designed a little bit differently. I don't, I'm not affiliated with the company, so I don't know a lot about their backend, but just from usage, you know, I can tell that their training model is a little bit different from what you get from some of the larger models. And it is, it also pulls in context from your book, right? Like your individual, because you can create books within the app, like a, like a bookshelf. So you can work on multiple projects at once and it knows which project you're in and it knows the characters and the tone. And you can also use uh, within that system, you can use some of those existing frameworks. Like I was talking about earlier, it's got a whole list of frameworks and it'll walk you through those frameworks, right? And then if you hit a stopping point, you just hit a button and it'll start writing for you. So it'll write the next sentence or it'll write the next paragraph for you and keep that continuity going. And so if you're talking about something like that, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, again, there's a lot of opportunity because you're working with an established framework or you're utilizing a well-known, you know, model or something of that nature. It's pretty good at that. So it makes a pretty decent coach in that sense. But again, you know, it all depends on how much information you give it. If you were to just say, hey, write me a book, it wouldn't necessarily fall. It might. It probably would try to follow some type of best practice, but it wouldn't necessarily follow the one that you want. And with that, the next phase of the discussion where I think we touched upon some of it while talking, you know, the narratives which is being built and how with technological advances, ethical considerations, critical role. What are the some key ethical concerns, you know, when using generative AI for ghostwriting you may see today? And how does one manage, let's say, attribution, authorship, like when AI is contributing significantly to the final work? How ethical considerations and, you know, sort of contributions and attributions are managed today in the ghostwriting or publishing industry? I mean, I think the obvious ethical one that probably comes to my mind, at least, is obviously using work that other people either didn't know was being utilized by AI in the first place, or it, they posted it and it just got scraped or something like that. And so in that sense, you could argue that you're using that work and there's no way to really attribute it to them because, you know, it's one of a billion people that have contributed to any given large model. And so, and you're seeing pushback right now. It's not just with, I mean, we're talking about publishing, but you see the conversation a lot more around art, right? with people talking about how my art was used and you can go and type in the style of a particular artist and reproduce work in their style. Right. So that could argue there's an ethical because it's, you could argue that it's diminishing the value of the real thing, or again, flooding the market to the point where the real thing is no longer even want it because I'm so sick of seeing it. Right. And you can do that with writing too. 
right? Again, we were talking about Stephen King. Any well-known author in the last decade, you could probably steal their voice pretty well, right? Even if it's not an author, even if it's just, like I said, a thought leader or a public figure or hell, I mean, if you did enough work, you could grab enough probably off of just scraping some random person's social media that you could build a model off of them. And then you could write in their voice convincingly enough. And we've already seen this scammers utilizing this. And so, you know, there's going to be a lot of that. The other thing that's a kind of an offshoot of that, this is, I guess, probably something not as many people care about, but within the context of the industry, I think it's important to consider is a little bit like what we were talking about before, but now that you can, now that anyone basically can come in and write a book on pretty much any subject utilizing these tools, to me, the ethical question is what responsibility as the author do you have? Because if you're going in and writing a book and you're not a subject expert, and then you're relying on AI to fill in your knowledge gaps, well, then you're far more likely to introduce those hallucinations that you were talking about, or even just bringing in theories or things that have been put on the internet, but aren't necessarily accepted, or maybe they've been disproven or changed over time. But because you're not in the quote unquote industry that you're talking about, or you don't know a lot about the subject you're writing about, but you want to be perceived as an expert, it's really easy to just spit a book out, put your name on it, right? I always tell this story, but this is, I had a client come in and I always asked a set of questions, right? And this is a few years ago. And I said, what is your book about? And she literally said, oh, just whatever will get me on Oprah. That's the book I want to write. Okay, so you're not a good fit for us. But the problem is there's plenty of people that would take that in a heartbeat. And AI isn't going to ask questions. It's going to be like, all right, well, based on statistics and what's trending right now, you probably want to write about these three things. One of these three things. Which one do you want to write about? Oh, I want to write about number two. That's I've seen that in the news. I know that's trending. Great. Boom. You know, here's an outline. Because that's the first thing you would do is like create me an outline. All right, great. Now, here's the trick. Here's how you do it if you want to be an independent publisher. Here's how you would do it, right? I don't recommend it's unethical, but if you want to pretend to be a subject matter expert on something, just go to ChatGPT, figure out whatever trending thing you want to be an expert on, have it write you an outline, 12 chapters, okay? And then for each chapter, tell it to write you three sub chapters, and it's going to create a list. And then you take each of those and say, write me a blog post on each sub chapter thing. So then you're basically just building out a branch. You stick all those together. You put it in a book, you publish it on Amazon, and then boom, now you're an author. Congratulations. You're an expert, right? And that's all it takes. Now, is any of the information factual? You probably don't know. You could read it and it might sound good, but do you know? If you're not an expert, you're not going to know. And your readers certainly aren't going to know. But worse than that, they're going to assume that you do. And so they're not going to read it and go, man, this is probably an AI hallucination. They're going to read it and go, oh, okay, that's how it is because so-and-so told me so. And so for me, I mean, when we talk about ethics, that's a big issue, right? Because it's so easy to fake it now. Yeah, and the misinformation can carry forward, right? I think it just may assume something and put together and then now, and that's the nature of generative models, right? It has to throw up and spit out some output, no fact checks on top, right? So, and then eventually somebody's reading it, maybe, yeah, to your point, understanding if, you know, it's coming from this author who probably is now known, he's been seen everywhere. And then it's okay, he's saying so. I mean, that may be true, but nobody's fact-checking it. So yeah, that's very concerning and can be scary in the longer run, for sure. Misinformation can travel so fast. I will say that the flip side of that is if you're writing fiction, sometimes those hallucinations can be amazing because they'll take your story in a 
direction you never would have thought of on your own. And you're just like, that's not even a thing. But now that it's in here, I'm going to run with it. And I've had that happen too. So like, it's not all bad, but I think there's a different level of uh, responsibility for nonfiction versus fiction. And practical approaches to things if you're putting together some thoughts out. Absolutely. I think fiction, that's a good example. Keeping fiction in mind, you know, that's where you need to imagine things. And I think probably, you know, generative models can do a lot more better than 100%. Cool. So probably towards the last question here, and this is just, I think you touched upon it when we first started the discussion today in the morning. If we have to cast our gaze to the future and considering the trajectory of generative AI and AI advancements and innovations, where do you envision, you know, AI's role in independent publishing, including post-writing five or 10 years down the line from now? And if you can project any potential advancements, which you might be foreseeing already, James, because I figured out that there's so much of insights you were able to share. Those will be the final thoughts and questions for you. And then we'll definitely do us a closure. Who knows? You know, things change so quickly now. But I will say, I think where eventually we'll get to probably maybe even in closer to the five-year range, just like we were talking about personalized generative entertainment, I think you're going to have personalized generative news. You're going to have personalized generative education, right? Like you're going to have this real time, like the information I need will be provided when I need it. And it will be provided contextually by the AI. And I think that's eventually what we'll get to. So it won't be like like right now where you go on Netflix and you start clicking through things, or I go to Amazon, I go, I want to read that book or Kindle or whatever. I feel like what's going to happen is more and more, it's going to be, hey, I want to read about this, produce it. Hey, I want to see this, produce it. You know, that instant you know, that can be good or bad. The good side of it is anytime I'm in any situation, I don't have to stop, go on Amazon, look at 5,000 books on a topic and hope I order the right one and not know until after I've read it, right? And invested that time. Well, now it's like, hey, read the top 10 books on marketing that were written in the last five years or in the last five months and give me the top three takeaways that they all agree on so that I can execute that right now. Right. So you have private readers that give you the things like that where you can start having that dialogue and it can be more of a research assistant. And if that is the case, my assumption is nonfiction reading will change. Nonfiction publishing will change because it'll be less and less of these educational leadership style books that are very popular right now. You know how to do this, how to do that. Top 10, whatever's. I think you're going to see less of those because it'll be so much easier to get that through the A.I., what you might start seeing as far as being like produced for mass consumption will be more stories, will be more bios, will be more maybe like self-written bios as opposed to like something. Because again, anything academic, the AI can produce for me, right? So where does that leave the human? It's like you were talking about a minute ago. It's about that creativity or stuff. And so I think what we're going to start seeing is more and more, what we were talking about earlier, independent, small teams that are self-publishing their own stories, right? Their own IPs in interconnected world. And I think that one of the things we're seeing now that's really exciting for me, it's empowered by AI in a lot of cases, but not necessarily, but it's uh, collaborative writing, right? Which is not necessarily a new thing that's been around, but with AI now, you can do collaborative writing in such a different way. So, you know, you can create story branches where you and I might start at the same starting point in a story, but if we go through, say, a week together on a platform where we're reading the same story, but we're it's like choose your own adventure, right? Except we're generating the story as we go. Well, by the end, 
we might have started with the same story seed, but we'll have two very different trees at the end. So like to me, that's one of the things that kind of we're working on too is when you're looking at, well, I'm going to pick up my next book, it's not going to be a finished story. It's going to be a potential adventure that you're going to co-create as you go through that story. So true. I mean, that's brilliant. You know, that the analogy of we start from the same point, but you know how I create those dynamic workflows through asking different prompting or whatsoever that may be to kind of, you know, build a narrative could be so different from what we both may be thinking about that similar topic. Well, I think sometimes I have seen even asking ChatGPT, you know, it builds different narratives. Even if you ask, it's, hey, just give me another iteration. It's completely different from the previous one. And then you can ask for specific prompts to make it whatever you like and tone. No, but you're spot on. Exactly right. And now, you know, you have the ability to do that as a group. But my point is you could take a system like that, which is being used for a hundred applications right now across all different industries, but you could take something like that and apply it to publishing and you could create a story as a group using this voting metric to determine key points and create multiple or alternative branches like we were talking about a minute ago, but as a group of 10, 20, 30, 100. So if I'm Marvel and I wanted to do something like this, then I could be like, hey guys, we have a Captain America story or an Avengers story and it starts here. Here's the world. But who shows up next? You know, Dr. Doom, Mr. Sinister or Sabretooth. I don't know those three. Anyway, it's like who shows up and then we vote. And then based on who gets voted on, that creates the next story and then you keep voting. Well, then you could take that and then you could publish it. You could turn it into an animation, right? And what's great is like, that's also kind of one of the things I see happening is people that are traditionally authors that's why I start using this term storytellers more because I think that's going to be a more accurate term as we go forward because you're no longer going to be an author or an artist or an editor. You're just going to be the storyteller that does all of these things utilizing AI. And so I think what you're going to start seeing is people that do that where they work with, they build communities around their fans and then they start having those collaborative expressions, building worlds or characters or stories with their fans so that the fans have that ownership because you know right now the one thing that both the fans and the creatives agree on is that the studio makes horrible decisions right that nobody likes and so if we get rid of them and it's just the fans and the creatives working together collaboratively i think there's a huge opportunity to tell stories that we've never seen before to do things that no studio would ever sign off on right and it's self-funded by the people that are creating the story as fans, you know what I'm saying? It's like this self-fulfilling thing. And to me, is an exciting avenue that we're starting to just see the very early days of. And then, you know, once you have the story, then, you know, it's just a whole, like we were talking about earlier. Great. Now, you know, there's no reason I couldn't take another system, put it on top of that and have it render that story as a comic and then have it render that comic as a movie. And so now all of a sudden I've gone from some random dude in a discord to now I'm a co-creator of a movie, my own movie that I helped create by my votes. Right. And it's like, and then you're going to want to share everybody. So you got a built in distribution network. Anyway, that's where I see things kind of heading. Wow. That's so exciting. I've never seen the world that way at all. This is brilliant, James. Well, on that note, I really want to thank you so much for today, James. I mean, frankly, given, you know, we are in more platform technology field, doing different things, but perspective of uh, how you do publishing, ghostwriting, and what the advantages could be, and then eventually the biases, you know, how you see the future. I think there's so much to learn from. I'm sure the audiences who listen to this could take a turn back 
from this episode for sure. Well, thank you so much, James, for today. It's been a true pleasure to having you here at Not Another Bot, the Generative AI show. And we would definitely love to talk to you more in future for sure. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, I'd love it. I appreciate the time. It's been a blast. How impactful was that episode? Not Another Bot, the Generative AI show, is brought to you by Yellow.ai. To find out more about Yellow.ai and how you can transform your business with AI-powered automation, visit Y-E-L-L-O-W.ai. And then make sure to search for The Generative AI Show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Yellow.ai, thank you for listening.